I think it's really important because when you when you when you're there as a coach, and what I've realised, the further I've moved up uh, through the pathway, is is that more people are looking at you for the answers, and they might wait, and they might look for you to to tell them what to do, and really they're the experts, physiologists, nutritionists, and all, all I'm trying to do is create an environment that says I'm not the expert. I'm a person that galvanizes a team and brings a plan together, but you need to step in here and this is the space that we'll co-create. At the end of the day, I'll probably be responsible with the athlete for the performance or what we might do, but ultimately come and pick something, come and have an intent, come and have a, a part of this uh, performance. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who've achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. further ado, Tom, welcome to our very first, our inaugural, our maiden, How They Lead podcast. A very big thank you for joining us today. Uh, basically, we're having conversations with people out there who are making and shaping high-performing teams, and hopefully our viewers and our audience will learn a thing or two along the way. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. The, the honour of being the first. You are the first. You are the first. So, um, so Tom, look, really, really big welcome from, from Ben and me. What we want to do these podcasts is um, give you an opportunity from the outset, introduce yourself, a bit about your background, what you're working on right now. So over to you. A little bit of a background. Tom Hodgkinson, my current role is uh, I'm the head of paratriathlon for British Triathlon. And before that time, so I started in June 2022. And before that, I spent 13 years with British Cycling, the Great British Cycling team, working my way from kit bag and cones guy, go ride coach in the community all the way to the podium of the Tokyo Paralympic Games uh, with hopefully familiar names of Neil Faki, Aileen McGlynn, James Ball, Kadena Cox, Jody Kundi, Jacko Van Gas in the team sprint. And we had a successful games there at, in Tokyo. And then, and then after that, I moved on to, to British Triathlon six months later. And for the last nine months, I've been leading that team uh, into the Paris cycle. Exciting, exciting career so far. And I think you know, from the brief opportunity we've had to, to do some work with you and the athletes and the coaches and the guides over, over the last month, I think um, going, into, going into Paris is, is an exciting cycle for, for, for the team. I want to delve into a bit about you and ask you our, our first question, which is our, our how they lead question. So for you, in one sentence, can you describe what your day-to-day approach is to how you lead people? Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. That is, uh, that's a difficult a good one to start, start. with. Uh, yeah, and, it's, it, and I think it's trying to keep it as simple as possible. And I think when I, when I think about my leadership in, a, in the coaching sense and in my current role, um, I'm probably leading by, by co-creating 
I've always led by co-creation. I've always led with trust. And, and I suppose I lead with clarity, giving clarity. And I think those are the three things that I try to lead with as, as much as possible when, when I'm leading teams or leading athletes into a, into a training phase, into a major competition, into a major games. They're probably the, the three things that, that stick out for me when leading teams. Is that, is that one sentence? Just say full stop at the end and then, and then it's one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's one, there we go. I think there's one, um, there was one phrase in, in how you lead that resonated with me. And I think the whole of our team um, from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that was your picture of an armchair. Can you remind us what, what that phrase is? Yeah. So I suppose that what you saw there was, was me describing how I wanted to be remembered and our team to be remembered in, in, uh, in the future. So I always get people to think about the destination. So trying to share some clarity. What's the destination? Where are we going? Is that in 2024 at Paris? Is that in LA 2028? And the, the, the part that you remember there, the three parts that, that I spoke about with the team and how they want the team to remember it is that they share the destination and that we're here to co-create and, and share that journey as kind of like air traffic control. They're the pilots for air traffic control. Uh, the, the middle part was, was, was around uh, the performances that we were trying to achieve in Paris and, and LA and what we're trying to achieve by developing people and delivering excellence as British triathlon. And, and the third part is, is say it well, say it early. And that's the empty chair. So uh, for people like Amazon, the, the empty chair can, can be the customer. So when you're sitting in a meeting or you're sitting in the side of the pool and you're talking about something or someone, it's usually someone that's not present. And it's to make sure that if you're having that conversation, that, that you say it to, to the person and you say it to them as, as well as you can, as early as you can, and make sure that you have an impact and, and have good intent with that. Because what I find is it's really easy to, to have a conversation with someone and feel like you've shared it, but nothing comes of it. And, and I think that can delay. And in the time constraints, like you spoke about with, with Tokyo and with Paris, we had an extended cycle. So everyone's a little bit tired after, after Tokyo. And especially with the, with the COVID lockdowns, that's taken its toll on people across business, across sport. And now we've got a shorter cycle going into Paris. So we've had a, a year extended of, of being at that high intent, including all the lockdowns, which has not been nice for anyone. And then we've had a shortened games in, into, into the next cycle. So that ability for us to reset, readjust, we haven't got that time to think now. It's, it's back into qualification and back into heading towards the games. So I think that's why I say, say it well, say it early. That's why, you know, we, we put that empty chair out there and say, is there things that are being left unsaid? Are there things that are being said whilst we're not present that need to be said right now? And that hopefully gets the conversation going. A lot of what you've just mentioned ties into the, the three things that you, you brought up in how you lead, so co-creation, clarity, and trust. Would you say out of those three, one stands out to having the biggest impact out of those three that you mentioned? I suppose co-creation is, is, is me. That, that's, that's me. That's how I like to lead. I know I've not come from a cycling background. I wasn't on the Olympic or Paralympic podium. I've come from a coaching background, from... Uh, fr from through the sport and, and seeing it from from that side, and what I realised really early was I needed to co-create with people that had been on on the line, on the start line, and hear their thoughts and their expertise. So, so the thing that stands out for me is is co-creation, and and within that is an element of trust, is an element of clarity within there as as a leader. So I think co-creation is 
is is me number one perfect thanks for that it's the standout for me yeah and i suppose you get that element of buy-in as well if you start co-creating you get the buy-in the team really want to to help you they want to help win yeah i think it's really important because when you when you when you're there as a coach and what i've realized the further i've moved up uh, through the pathway is is that more people are looking at you for the answers and they might wait and they might look for you to to tell them what to do and really they're the experts physiologists nutritionists and all, all i'm trying to do is create an environment that says i'm not the expert I, i'm a person that galvanizes a team and brings a plan together but you need to step in here and this is the space that we'll co-create at the end of the day i'll probably be responsible with the athlete for the performance or what we might do but ultimately come and pick something, come and have an intent, come and have a, a part of this uh, performance. Takes takes a lot of courage to do that though, doesn't it? So I think that increases. To show that vulnerability and say, well, actually, I'm not the expert and open yourself up to that, that vulnerability piece. Yeah, and, and, and that's been a journey that, that I've been on throughout my coaching career is, is embracing that, sharing that pretty early. And every time I've, I've stepped on it, it's me being more vulnerable and sharing that even more and being more confident with it as well. And I think when I first stepped into my podium role, I, I was probably a little bit of imposter syndrome kicking in there thinking I needed to show that I knew something. I needed to put that 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 kind of philosophy forward when, when actually I needed to stick to my, my my authentic self, which which was just saying, I don't know everything. I need this kind of team around me for this athlete. That's the destination. How do we get there? And it's up to, to everyone to do that. So it does need a, a lot of vulnerability it does need uh, a lot of self-confidence within that as well and, and the ability to to sit there and go this is okay uh, and I think you, you get the best out of people from that good stuff and I think I think for, for us like we'd we'd echo that in in our experience working with with, with sports teams and businesses I think for us there's there, there's three elements I think for that guide our philosophy in terms of working with people and that's self-leadership. You know, how, how, how good is someone at role modeling? Because if you could role model vulnerability, co-creation, trust, then, then people are going are gonna to reach for that. The teamship bit, you know, about how can you, how can you co-create and be a good team player. Um, but then also followership. Like you've just described there, handing power over to your subject matter experts or, or your athletes um, and actually following, following them to, to the podium when when they're in that, that, that race period or, or that game cycle. And we've got a few questions that Ben's going Ben's gonna to ask you now, just to delve into your experience a bit more on that, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah, definitely. And this is something that I really wanted to hear from you as well, given sort of Ben's background on the pitch and mine from the military, where quite often, if you're seen as a leader, it's assumed that you have to be the, the biggest, the most confident, the, the loudest on the pitch or in the battlefield. So actually to hear your experience about actually followership is just as important and then being a great team player, the teamship is just as important as effective. That's what I really wanted to hear from you as well. So, yeah, the, the first question really was to do with the, the self-leadership aspect and to hear if you had any role models, whether that's uh, in your previous career with, with cycling or with triathlon now, who's influenced you and your career so far? Any role models that you can think of? Yeah, I this kind of links to what I'm doing with my master's at the moment. So I'm currently doing a master's with Harbury University on uh, coaches journeys and I'm using Campbell's hero story model of uh, through that through that phase so so it's really interesting that we're we're talking about role models and mentorship and and who it is that starts you on that journey and I think when I think back to the start of my journey it, and, and everyone goes to this everyone goes to this it's that first sports coach 
it's that first uh, PE teacher. And I, I must admit, I'm going there and, and it was Martin Wright for me. And he was the most strictest, probably, PE teacher in the building. And it, and I grew up in uh, South Manchester and it's tough. It is tough there. You know, some lovely people there. Uh, my family's there, but, but it's tough, you know. But he managed to just maintain that environment so well without ever kind of uh, breaking any boundaries. And you just knew straight away what the boundaries were. And he was one of those kind of PE teachers that had, that had kind of taught your parents, who taught their parents, they'd just been there long enough. And everybody knew and everyone had passed down that knowledge that, that that's, you know, how it rolls in, in this environment. And it wasn't done in a forceful way. It was just done. You just knew it was an unknown known. And what he created was this this ability that this is the boundary. This is the environment in which we're going to work in and you go and explore. And it's up to you to go and explore and, and, and learn your sport and understand your sport and, and have an impact on, on the game. And, and that's how he led through guided discovery, basically. So I think that's uh, when, I, when I link back where I got co-creation from, it, it came from there. No, it's like that term, guided discovery. I really like that. I've not heard that before. I like that. When I think around, yeah, so it's, it's like a coaching term of, of just setting out the, the playground and setting out the pitch and going, right, okay, these are the constraints and the constraints-led approach, and, and this is now how you're going to play the game, and you get to learn and discover through that instead of somebody saying, well, A to B, B to C, put the ball in the net, kind of uh, closed you know, to open kind of delivery. When I think to kind of trust and clarity, I think to John Norfolk, who's currently the head coach of the Great Britain cycling team, who brought me across into the Paralympic coaching. And his one was always minding the gap. So with mine, it was always about trust and getting close. And, and his one was about getting close, but minding the gap. And, and what he was doing there was just creating that space to have those critical conversations, those clarity conversations. And that's something that I really needed to develop when I first came into high performance coaching and, and leading teams is I just wanted to go straight to the friend zone. I just wanted people to like me. I just wanted to be liked as a person and a, as a leader. And I suppose a little bit of the imposter syndrome there. If people like me, then they'll get used to me and then I'll be able to influence them. And, and what I learned from John is that you can, you can be uh, respected and liked through respect rather than just being liked. And I think you can get a lot more traction as a leader through, through being respected first and then being liked rather than the opposite way around. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, um, I think you, like, it's interesting that your primary school teacher, yeah, you talked about he, he had those unknown, those unknown boundaries, but they were known. And it sounds like he minded, was minding the gap really, really effectively. And like, I think it's quite interesting when people have that, that professional distance because they've gone, they've gone down the credibility route, build credibility before relationship type type element as, as a coach or a leader and i think the the mistake i, I certainly made that as, as a coach early on is to go relationship to then try and get credibility and i think i agree with you like you get stuck in that friend zone where it's quite hard to to then progress and and, and progress the other person's performance because they view you as as a as a friend rather than someone that can impart some knowledge wisdom etc with them is that is that kind of what you're getting at yeah absolutely absolutely you know there was i think of an example of, of an athlete who uh it got to the end of his his progressions and said time's up you know that that's it the contract's not being renewed he was like where was the conversation where was it 
we had all these opportunities and and it's the blind spot of trust isn't it they're saying oh i'm working really hard i'm doing what i should be doing you know and we're monitoring it and we can see that they're doing just as much as 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 they should be doing because oh but i had a little bit more and i thought to myself on that day i was like that's it that's minding the gap that's setting the boundary that's allowing us to have a, a critical conversation and sharing some clarity well before this should have happened again we're under a bit of pressure now and, and we should have been having this type of conversation back there and i think i always remember that person i always remember the face and uh, it probably get, keeps me up at night when when i know that i've got to have one of those conversations because they're never easy are they but never easy to have those when you need to but by co-creating that relationship by starting with respect and leading uh from there rather than friendship and building that over time i think that's the, the most healthiest way forward yeah and i think i think some of the the people that hopefully will be listening to to this episode will really resonate with that from a business setting like there are there are people who are underperforming in a business environment and i think you've invested in hiring them you've invested in training them and i i know a number of a number of ceos and leaders that i've worked with over the years who have who have i've gone one down one route or the other either they they've cut too early because they haven't they haven't used any empathy or, or relationship or and i think it's the majority have gone well we'll just give them a bit longer and then all of a sudden it's like right we need to have that conversation and the person's like really shocked it's like wow like why didn't i get this feedback three months ago you know um it's a tough one and everyone's made those mistakes it's not to say that every high performance coach has come in and gone right that's it i'm going to start at this point and i'm going to lead in this way it's a journey isn't it and you and you learn from the, the the wins and from the mistakes and the trials and tribulations uh but you try as as much as you can to, to lead with that and and that's uh that's the best way to be kind is to be clear you know i think that's something that i took from from our head of uh people cultural development in matt jefferson is is you know it's it it's it's kind to be clear and just saying this is where we are you know i really do like you as a person but there's this thing in this context and this environment it needs to look like this this performance needs to look in this way and it is difficult it is challenging to to have that conversation because ultimately as a as a head of paratriathlon or as as a coach of the great britain cycling team i, I knew my athletes inside out i probably knew them better than my wife and she said that often enough she said you're having conversations with athletes that even we don't have and and you're building that kind of relationship and the strength of that relationship and, and at some point you, you also need to remember that we we're here for a professional reason as well and we're on that journey and and it's it's usually people outside of your coaching relationship or business relationship that's attacking that so if a competitor goes and does a faster time right well that's reset the boundary we need to go again and we need to have that that ability to push again and i think that's that's really hard when you're in that such a connected relationship you mentioned building that trust and rapport over some weeks and months it takes takes time how have you found that guided discovery approach that works so well with you back in the day how have you found implementing that with with team members that may be, be new to the team or, or change over quite frequently where you have to build that trust and rapport to really utilize that guided discovery approach how have you found that yeah i, I must admit i've it's it's a difficult one it's a difficult one because it's always around context it's always around funding it's all around politics culture so when you're in uh, a high school setting you, you know there's no funding on the line it, it there's no 
uh, they might be a, a, an end of year exam and they might be an Ofsted report, but you just have to be good, don't you? Whereas the in a high performance setting, I really struggled in the beginning to be able to to use that approach, and and just kind of let athletes explore because you're on, always under a time pressure and you're always under, uh, you know, a, a target or an objective that needs to be met. And I think that the interesting part, the real interesting part, was when we got into the the final part of into the Tokyo cycle and we had a real crux moment just before the games. And we just changed it all. We we went to guided discovery, and what we did was, if I would have said to the athletes, we're going to do four rolling kilos, which is four kilometer, you know, four one kilometer efforts, and our race distance is a kilometer. And we were going to do four in a session. If I said to them, we're going to do four rolling kilometers, they just go, no, we're not doing that. But what we did was we created a game based uh, session, which which was around co creating a set of rules, which allowed them to to kind of uh bet against uh the time so i'd say these are the conditions this is the time i think you're capable of doing today i'll give you uh two temps per lap but i'm going to take your disc wheels off you and you have to do it on spoke wheels or uh you can have your aero helmets and you can take uh two temps off which one do you want to do and, and we'd negotiate on different wheels and all of a sudden we're just enjoying ourselves doing four rolling kilos a session trying to beat the time in each other and, and what was on the line was a cup of coffee on the Friday morning. And all of a sudden, we're doing the hard work, reaching the, the, the actual training load, but doing it in a guided discovery way. And in a fun way, it sounds like, as well. I think that was in a fun way. At the Wednesday session, it, it was like the, the session that nobody wanted to be in on. It was the hardest session of the week, was was the most fun and enjoyable one, and one we, we, we started to look forward to. And I think that was... The game changer going into Tokyo for for that pairing at least, uh, in in that example. And is that one of the ways that you've kind of shifted the way that you operate as well? Do, do you think in terms of how you've developed yourself to be this effective leader, follower, team player? Is that one of your operating methods that's changed? Do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think that that was the turning point of me becoming more comfortable in myself, me becoming that that ability to be vulnerable. Go, do you know what? I'm I'm all right with what I know. I'm all right with with where I'm at. I'm okay with sharing this. I'm okay with with having fun in a high performance environment. And it, and it's hard, you know. Uh, in we've, we've always got to deliver. We've always got to push. But at the same time, this this moment is short, and and it doesn't last forever. And it doesn't last forever as a coach. It doesn't last forever as a practitioner and a performance team member or an athlete. That's the thing that keeps me kind of making sure that yes, we we plan and we get the hard work and the progressions done. And and not the final part, but intertwined in that is elements of where we can be fun and be ourselves, but it doesn't come at the consequence of the hard work. So I think that that's where I was, I was probably at my best as a as a coach, and I'm starting to really embrace that as a leader uh, rather than a coach in my current role. I think it's um just reflecting. You've got me reflecting now back on on like my very bad rugby playing career and and a slightly better coaching career and actually if i look at kind of total effort exerted when i was when i was playing the training sessions where and teams i was part of where the coaches got most out of us as players were all decision making based game practices they were all here are the levels of the game figure out and the parameters figure out how to beat your oppo or figure out how to score bonus points. And 
I think, you know, as long as you are, what I'm hearing from you and, and resonates in, in my personal experience as well, is as long as you structure the practice, whether that's in sport or whether that's in business, to achieve the end objectives you want, finding enjoyment, fun, laughter, kind of competition, um, I think is such a powerful stimulus. And it can't be at the expense of what the sport looks like or what the end product is. You know, it, it it's the craft and the expertise in being able to manipulate the environment is constraining just the most simplest of things, be able to elicit a bit more brain activity, a bit more engagement, a little bit more uh, thinking and, and that ability to adapt in the moment. And I think if you if you can create that environment more often than not, not at the expense of the sport and not expensive of hard work, then you've probably got a cracking session, you know, and let's not get away from it in cycling and in, in paratriathlon. You, you just can't get away from the fact that you're on your bike or you're running or you're swimming a, a lot, a lot of time, a lot of time, you know, so you've, you've got to do the hard work, but at the same time, you've got to enjoy it. It's got to be a passion. If it isn't, then it's not a great place to be. I was going to say, cause it must be difficult to introduce elements of competition during the training when the end result is competition as well. So you don't want to overload people with, with competition everywhere they look. Yeah, I think it, it, it's bringing that enjoyment level and it, in the majority of the training. So this is the amount of hard work that we can get done. These are the opportunities where we can enjoy it and we can flex a little bit and we can have a little bit of co-creation. But these moments are where we're really going to be under task. This is the, the, the prep session. This is the... Uh, the, the session where we're going to go through our race protocols this is the actual race and, and it's that it's that drip of threat isn't it and if if people are constantly having the drip of threat and competition sometimes can be seen as threat you know a little tap on the head just a little tap do it long enough then it becomes a bruise then it becomes a sore then then it becomes a headache and then it becomes really bad and it's just constant you just constant pain and, and that's what threat can be sometimes so you have to dose that in, in the right way so that it doesn't turn an environment into, into the wrong environment it doesn't become healthy becomes toxic you know that does that constant drip and, and do you think taking everything that you've learned to date would you say that this is one of the most enjoyable teams that you've been a part of or the best performing team if you can think back over your career do you think this is the almost the pinnacle in terms of the teams you've operated with i think that the, the balance is right and, and it's the two high-performing teams, so the both world-class teams, are both performing on a on a really high level at Olympic and Paralympic level, and the two totally different philosophies of of delivery. You know, uh, where I think uh, when I was a, a coach at the Great Britain Cycling Team, it it was around kind of producing the performances and and the medal count and make sure we're number one nation in in the world. And I think to the philosophy of of British triathlon uh, at the moment is you know developing people and delivering excellence is our performance mission and that just sounds a little bit different and it's delivered a little bit different but the outcome is the same it's still high performance it's still medal winning delivery and people uh going through that process to, to be a paralympic champion so, so both teams do it do it really differently and it's been nice having spent 13 years with the great Britain cycling team to spend the, the next or well, hopefully the next 13 years with with british triathlon but the last kind of nine to ten months with British Alphon understanding that philosophy and, and and protecting that as well. And which team have you enjoyed to date so far the most if you had to uh, to rank one over the other? Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. 
<laughs> I thought you were going to that. I thought you were going to. Yeah, you did well. You did well. <laughs> I did well to dodge the first question. Uh, but no, both teams are great and I've had great experiences with, with both. And I, I can't speak highly enough of both organisations. Uh, so to, to pick the two, is, it's not fair. It's not fair. And I'll have great experiences with, with both. I thought I'd try. It was a nice try. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a nice try. <laughs> Good go. Well played, Good Tom. Go. Well played. I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, one question I, I, I did have, which kind of links into a bit more about the teamship as well. And actually, this might be a question that needs, needs a part two for this podcast. But uh, we have a lot of clients who there's a bit of a dilemma between whether they give trust straight away or it has to be earned. And you're probably in a prime position to, to tell us how you operate, whether you give trust to somebody who's joined the team straight away, 100% of the trust, or do they have to earn it? Because actually that, that's key to forming the team and that sense of teamship. Um, so that really that, that trust question would be one that I'd like to, to pose and see how that comes across in terms of your, your teamship or how you build that, that team. Yeah, I trust is that's really interesting isn't it it's really interesting I, I don't know whether i've got an answer for it because it's a real deep uh, question it's a real deep question trust if you don't start with trust you're starting with not trusting is is where i'm going to and if you're not starting with trust then you're not starting with clarity and you've probably got to look at your if i'm thinking about where i sit right now and, and the the amount of interviews that i've been in it's the clarity of the interview process. It's the clarity of, of them showing them at their best and, and you showing you at your best. And what we've moved to at British Triathlon, and I think in performance, it's more of this work-based uh, day session where, where people come and experience an, an experience of working in our team. And we try our hardest to, to limit the presentations, limit the interview questions, and use specific examples in our work environment where, where people get to explore an example, a live example of what we're dealing with right now. And it gives us an idea of, of how they might work as a, as a leader within our team. So do, do I start with trust? I do. I do start with trust. And, and it's up to people to maintain that and, and to keep on delivering against that. And it starts you off on a good foot. Because I think if you don't start with trust, you start with no trust. And, and that, I believe, then creates a real big... Uh, divide it creates a hierarchy it creates the, the environment which i'm not after so when i welcome somebody into this environment okay this is your role this is what i'd like you to deliver start with clarity and and then really start to uh emphasize that trust and take it to another level of trust when they deliver there and i think like you said before it's that intent when people come in because oh, i just get my feet under the table i'll, I'll just wait i just play it easy and usually we haven't got that kind of time. And that's when I think uh, these gaps appear. That's when you start getting into that process of, uh, of managing people. When it, I think if you start with trust and you're really clear, you'll start off on a really good footing and people will make mistakes. There's no two ways about it. I'm currently probably making mistakes right now, but ultimately that's life. But I think we've got to start with trust. Uh, how about you guys? Where, where, where do you start and where do you sit with that? I like that quote, actually, yeah. If you don't start with trust, you start with no trust. I think that sums it up yeah, pretty, I th pretty nicely. I think, I think it's a fantastic like, topic and question, and it's so rich and, and hard to wrestle with. And we've, we've been on the side of mountains with like, SLTs of, of businesses and asked that exact question. You know, raise your hands. Who thinks trust is given and who thinks trust is earned? 
And you just watch like half go like that and half go like that. And you're like, wow. Okay, let's have a let's have a conversation about lifting lifting the curtain on on that. And I think I think for me it comes down to I really like your um your your story there of of the interview process because whenever I've asked someone that question in like an exec coaching session or or, or, a, or a team session and they've said, oh, you've got to you've got to earn my trust," then I'm like, okay, so the last person you hired when you offered them a role, what, what would you call that? And you just, you watch the cogs go and they're like, ah, oh, crap. Okay. Yeah. I gave them my trust. I'm like, great. Um, and when they, when they accepted and they turned up, they've just given you their trust. So now I'll ask you the question again, is it earned or is it given? And I think, I think then I will quite often get the, well, it's given until you break it and then you've got to earn it. And, and then we get into a whole yeah. like different conversation that probably isn't for now, but then it's about re-earning and, uh, and transparency and how can you build a relationship from a position of broken trust, et cetera. Does that answer your question, Tom? Yeah, that's why I probably come back to co-creation in, in that you've got, to, you, you've got to agree that you've got to, you've got to put the, the constraints of that relationship. Say, these are the boundaries. This is where we're going to work. This is how we're going to work and always contracting that conversation or that piece of work and saying, this is how I want it to be, or this is what the destination is. This is what the outcome is. How do we best get there? And I, yeah. I think that's, that's why I probably say I lead with trust. Than, and I think no just, trust. just that just nicely, I think threads back to what you said earlier about credit, mind the gap. Like actually, if you set those ways of working, I think is what you're talking about and do the credibility bit before the relationship gets too close. Actually, you can understand what the trust is and, and what trust is, is given from the outset in terms of how to give feedback, how to receive feedback and, and ways of work. Yeah, because we often get invited into, into clients who the team is working well, but every time they try and push for that, that high performance level or try something new, they see the cracks starting to appear. And then when we come in and break it down, it's because the trust wasn't there to begin with or not enough trust was was built and given out right at the start. So actually we have to go all the way back to the beginning, build up that trust and rapport, and then take them back up to that, that high performing stage. So I think, yeah, it is critical, as Ben said, something that we, we do delve into um, with many of our clients. It seems to be a common theme that they've either missed out a stage when they were bringing the team together, or they need to go back and revisit how they are giving out that trust. Absolutely. When, when you're at the side of that mountain, Ben, it, it, it's the difference between hands up and hands down. Is that between the hierarchy of the team, or is that just is that usually just fifty fifty? It depends who it is. Yeah, it's a really it's an interesting. So yeah. that that particular example, um, it was really blended. It was really blended. Um, they were they had co CEOs. One one CEO, trust is given. Other CEO, trust is earned. Two CEOs turn to each other. Oh. Okay. And, um, and the beauty of the beauty of that scenario is like we've got them for the next four to five hours walking in, you know, the beautiful Welsh countryside, then walking alongside them, having conversations, you know, we can pick that apart over, over dinner, et cetera, before we even get into a leadership kind of development program. But, um, in that situation, it was a real moment where people just, because also they're not, they're not being interviewed. They're not in a training session. They're out in the hills. So you ask, you pose a question like that and they go, oh, I'll just give you my answer. And you're like, oh, I've, I've shown my true colors. Like, and that's great because that's what we need. Like 
you talked about trust, like transparency builds trust. So even though there's a disagreement there or a conflict or diversity of thoughts, we can build from that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I've been on many of those walks over the, the Hereford, the hills of Hereford uh, with ex-Royal Marines and you're into like hour four and you're a little bit tired and the fish and chips is still another hour away. Your mobile phone doesn't work. You just can't get out of that conversation. It's brilliant. I love those leadership walks. They're so good. They're the best kind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was how we were trying to see your thoughts on, on teamships. So we've had a look at the self-leadership, um, delved into teamship, which from what I can see is all based on trust to get that collaboration. Um, in terms of followership, which was the last of the three ships that we wanted to delve into with you, have you got an example of, of where you've seen great followership or where you think that you've been or had to be a, a good follower? I mean, you mentioned being, being vulnerable and understanding and acknowledging that you might not always be the expert. So in theory, you, you are then following the experts. But have you got a, an example that stands out as soon as we mentioned followership that you could share with us? Yeah, I, again, I'm using a lot of my, my coaching here. I appreciate it. I've only just been in post for in British Triathlon for, for a short time. So I haven't had those kind of real tangible experiences that I can draw upon. They'll probably come in this season or, or in, in the coming seasons. So when I, when I think back to, to Tokyo, uh, in, in the lead up to it, we had three six-month blocks of, of training that we could do. The games got stopped. That was it. We were going again. And we had three six-month blocks that we could work with. And, and I turned around to my team and I said, this is the destination we've just done. A one minute, one seconds in, in the last kilo that we've done which was nearly two seconds off what our best was. And it was nowhere close. The riders were not happy. I was not happy with myself. They weren't happy with themselves. And we just brought it together. Like, what is it? What is the destination? Where are we trying to get towards? And the athletes came up with 58 seconds. Let's call it Pro Project 58. And we'll go quicker than we've ever gone before. We'll go quicker than anyone's ever gone before. No one's ever gone sub 59 seconds for a kilometer time trial and, and we broke it down and i said right okay well we're going to do something that we've never done before or nobody else has done before then, then we need to really understand it and what it is but so we broke down the psychology of our relationship and, and where we're at and, and what we wanted to do how we wanted to work so we had the psychologist working on that area we had the, the physiologist and the and the data performance team figuring out what it was that was going to break down that performance and, and what we realized, it was the first two pedal revs, and it was probably three and a half thousand watts. It was probably 23 watts per kilo. It was probably 700 newton meters of torque. And, and, you, and you're starting to get that real tangible bits of information. And you, you piece it all together, and you, you run it through the modeling system, and it goes, right, that's what it takes to, to, to get to that destination. So we, we set that plan out. We had the physiologist working on torque production the first two pedal reps getting as strong as you could be we had the snc coach working in collaboration and and in conjunction and what we did was is we we we, we had the both of them working together so they come in and do the first two pedal reps on the track and then walk straight into the gym and do a gym set and that was the first time that we'd blended the two together the two would work you know do an am track session and a pm gym or pm am gym depending on the phase pm track and what we did was we brought them both together so we just changed the way they changed their way of working said so we could probably do this better 
and the and the psychologist was working with me on on our coaching relationships and it was it was that fellowship of of them breaking it all down and, and working together and me just setting the environment and saying that's okay keep on going we're going to make some mistakes and we're going to try and figure it out along the way but these are the markers that we need to be hitting and we went from a a, a 101 kilo to to a 580 which is like three seconds quicker 1.2 seconds quicker than we'd ever gone before and going back to that original uh, conversation we had at the beginning around co-creating that session with the athletes for raw, four rolling kilos is, is what we found was they started on a bigger gear. They got off quicker than they ever had done and they didn't drop off because they'd done the endurance work based on that session and they just, just floated all the way through and they just didn't drop off. They just didn't die off. And and where, what you usually find is they go off fast in the kilo and then they drop off they just flatlined. They started fast and just held it. It was an unbelievable scene, and it was it was on reflection of of working of discussing it and debriefing it with the physiologist. She said it was the first time that she'd ever just been given the task, going that's the destination, figure it out. You know, I, I don't want to set the reps, I don't want to set the session. Your it's your thing. That's that's for you to do. And she really enjoyed developing that session and and being involved with the athletes. And, and getting stuck in and that was the first real tangible uh, impact on the team and I think that was an example of a fellowship of from myself as a leader being led by the physiologist and them leading and, and them feeling really proud of their impact on that and their intent on that the psychologist again building that relationship and and getting to a point where we're meeting weekly discussing any little niggles that, that were going on in our relationships anything that we weren't clear on and then getting to the, the the world championships, it's just all smiles, just all high fives. And I just remember stood in the track centre, and one of the coaches came across to me. Said the French coach is mad at you. He is so mad, and I'm like, I like to be like, what's going on? What you know? He said he keeps on looking at his stopwatch every time the athletes <laughs> go around. He just keeps on shaking his head. And and at, and at that point, two days out from the race, in the French head coach knew the game was off. He knew the game was done and, and the race was over even before the race had got got going. And at that point, you're like, we've we've done what we should have done there. So I think that's my experience of, of fellowship at its best for for me and coaching at its best. In in my example, yeah, I mean that's a, a that's a, a great example for us on 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 followership. And I think I've got a I've got an honesty check question for you, Tom. When you when you started that process and you thought, right, well, let's, let's experiment here. Let's, let's enable. How were you feeling for the first few sessions before you saw any, any results from that delegation, that freedom? I, again, I'm probably really clear on this because I'm, I'm going through this with, with my masters at the moment. And I, the thing that I wrote down is probably my lowest moment. So um, this is kind of like the death and the rebirth moment of the hero's journey of that, of that model. And and that was my lowest point as as a coach. Athletes weren't happy. I wasn't happy. They weren't happy with themselves. I wasn't happy with myself. They weren't happy with me. I wasn't happy with them. And, and we just were at our lowest point. It's like something's got to change, you know. And it's those moments where you where you're like, it's got to change. We're still winning. Don't get me wrong. We're still winning medals. We're still. Uh, performing to the best in the world, but just weren't performing at our best. And there's a di- there was a difference there, that we were still world champions, 
were still world record holders. Uh, but for Kadena, she wasn't a world record holder, actually. She she got beat uh, or came second in, in Milton. And, and it was just some real challenging conversations that we needed and real uh, self-discovery. And when, you, when you're going along that journey, I suppose the thing, I didn't have any confidence in it. I just knew that we had the data that I had confidence in. So I didn't have any confidence in the plan. I just knew that we had the idea of these are the things that make up good relationships. These are the things that make up a good start. And we just built on on uh, on six weekly training programs and said, right, from where we started to where we are now, are we any better? And if, if we weren't any better, had we done more work than we had done in the previous cycle? Because usually you don't usually see it over a six week plan. So like, well, if we're either doing more work or we're seeing the fruits of it, brilliant but we're not going to do less work and we're not going to stop challenging ourselves. And we just went on that process. But, so there was no clearly defined plan. We didn't map it out over 18 months, six month blocks. And this is how it's actually going to work. What I found myself doing probably two weeks, <laughs> two weeks before every event, before every hit out every six months is I'd meet up with one of the athletes in Tack coffee shop in Manchester and it'd be the same question. I feel like rubbish. I feel like we're going really slow. And, and all I'd do is just present the data to them. I go, that's where we were this time, last time. And this is what happens. You know, you feel like you're down here, but you're up here in two weeks time. We drink the cup of coffee. We go back to the track and have a great session. And I think we took a lot of confidence, which is not my skill set from the data set, which through the data analyst. I'm going, Joe, this isn't, I'm not the logical person. I'm not the person that kind of, uh, creates the Excel sheets and the Tableau data sets, but I need to see a visual that says we're in a similar place or better or worse and why. And we took confidence from that. Uh, so I think that's where, where was that along that journey? It's just a constant roller coaster. I was just going to say, I think, I think that's really interesting that, you know, you didn't have the, the finite kind of this ABCD will, will get us to, to the end point, but I like, I like the way that you've put those those markers in those review periods. To did did that did you find that those review periods having those in gave you confidence to go another another couple of reps at a time to 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 give more control to your subject matter experts. And I suppose that's where it gave me the freedom to be that leader. So so in the beginning I was probably a little bit too in it in the first phase, and and we and what we said was is if we just go just as fast, but on a bigger gear, it means that we're stronger in the first section. If we go on the, a bigger gear and even faster, then then we're in the great place. And if we go to Tokyo with, with what we know as the Great Britain Cycling Team, marginal gains and, and the kit, you know, if we get this gear off in those types of conditions at the altitude that the track was at, we're probably going to go 58 seconds. And And... The first session we did, we got the gear off the line and we went at world record pace. And it was like, oh, okay, now we're in the money. Now we're getting there. We're able to get this gear off the line. The work that we've done has, has showed that we can do that. If we repeated that and a little bit more, we might get a little bit more. But we probably need to work on a, a different section as well, a different stimulus. We got to the second one. And, and what we had there was was a set of, uh, a timing system that, that allowed us to get real-time information straight away. We weren't relying on lasers. We weren't relying on stopwatches. And we set up a, an internal trial because it was COVID. All set out, all to the COVID protocols. It was like a race event because we couldn't get to any races. 
I remember the athletes taking off on the first paddle raft and, and they broke the, the disc wheel and they stripped the the hub, they stripped the hub of the aluminium. And you're like, right, okay, mechanic comes in and it's good for race prep. So you, the mechanic comes in, changes it all around, the rider sit down, you're like, right, okay, we go again, they get back up, they do it again, right? The boss is walking across the track and he's a, he's a strong man, he's a strong man. And I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to go mad. We're like six months out from the games. This is like games equipment. And he's like, do you want to do it again? I'm like, yeah. So like, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> Did it again. Broke another wheel. And he's like, right, well, we just need new wheels then, don't we? Yeah. You know, if you're going to get the athletes that strong, we need some equipment to support that. Broken yeah. chains, right. We'll get, we'll get the chain stronger. Right, okay. Now the wheel needs to be stronger. The frame yeah, needs to be yeah. stronger. And all we were doing was just beefing up this equipment. And the riders were taking confidence going, we're just breaking equipment left, right and centre. Because we're that strong right now. Yeah, it's good in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, they went off again. And, and all I remember was a round of applause from the, from the track, from inside the track centre. And I'm like, something's happened. Something's happened. And it was the old uh, head sprint coach was, was clapping and he usually never clapped. You know, he was like, oh, okay something really has gone and he broke the world record in training wow and i was like right okay now we're really onto it and that that then just set us off on a path and and that took the team with it as well and usually what we found in in in, in the great britain soccer team is one person did it the next person did it one person does it the next person does it. it just shows that it can be done and it just had a ripple effect right the way through the team and through the support team and through the delivery uh so i think that that was the that was the moment where we gained a lot of confidence uh, whether it, whether it didn't work and it, we weren't breaking world records or we weren't breaking equipment, what I would have done, I don't know. But it was working; it worked. So. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a, it's a great story, and I think it's a really a really good lesson because, um, like when the when the chips are down and you're up against it and you feel like your team isn't performing at the right level, it can be very easy. I think we we see it in businesses quite often to go like quite introverted. I want to be in control of everything and, and not, not risk following other people. So you sharing that story of, uh, there's some bravery there, I think, in terms of, you know, in, empowering and following your subject matter experts to, to, to explore. Like, as you said earlier on, like, you know, guided, guided discovery, you know, here's the, here's the plan. This is kind of where I think we want to go to, but you guys have the, have the key to that. Um, there's there's one final question before before we wrap up the conversation that that we always want to ask um, every every guest and you've been our first guest you you get to put your put your flag in the summit first so yes. we named <laughs> we named our business West Peak for a reason there are several mountains that have false or second summits these summits they look like the peak the goal the objective. But when a tired mountaineer reaches them and sees a real, the real peak was obscured from sight by the false peak, they kind of realized, oh my goodness, like I've got so much more to achieve. Um, and then often they kind of get burnt out and, and turn around. But this second real summit is, is our West Peak. And it's our goal through the business to develop people past learning the fundamentals to mastering skills in the real world. So my question to you, Tom, is... Um, What's your West Peak? What is a moment where you've encountered a false summit where you thought you knew everything there was to know about a skill or a, or a practice, and then you've gone, "Wow, I'm 
I'm now consciously incompetent. How do I, how do I learn? How do I learn more? Probably my current feeling right now. <laughs> so what right now or paratriathlon? Yeah. Uh, probably paratriathlon, paratriathlon. I think, uh, the, the success that I'd had with the Great Britain cycling team, with the team that I'd developed over that, that time and, and worked with and, and had great success with, I suppose I, I thought that was, that was the peak and I thought I'd, I knew it and, and I could, I could move into a leadership role and, and I could share my wisdom, you know, and, and what I realized when, when I came in and, and pretty quickly through the, for the help of, of Mike Cavendish, he was a, he's been a great mentor to me and will continue to be, uh, during my time at, at British triathlon is, is that this place is different and, and how it works and, and how it moves is totally different. And what, what I knew with the great Britain cycling team can bring, uh, some of its best bits, but just kind of imposing the plan. And, and showing this is how we did it and this is how I want to do it. It's not going to work and it's a totally different culture and it's a totally different way of doing things. And I think I was quite protected in that bubble. Like I said, it's, it's a strength of working in an organization for 13 years, uh, but every strength has its blind spots. And, and I think that's when coming into a different organization at the age of 36 and, and starting afresh with a totally new organization, I think that's been the, the second peak for me, the actual peak. And when we get to uh paris and and some of the things that we're putting in place right now with the coaching team and the performance team and and working with west peak uh to develop our our way of working i think that that will be the determinant of whether we reach the summit or not in paris or in la and, and i think only and this is why i spoke about before only when we get to paris will i realize what some of these things we're going through right now and set us up to be and to do and to perform at and and especially in la i think my my performance and leadership will, will really shine through in LA and, and some of the things we're putting into place now in the pathway with great pathway manager and coaches in Emma Springer and Becky and Jack and Tom Smith as uh, pathway manager will really bear fruits then. Uh, so I think, yeah, I felt like I knew it all. I felt like I was really confident and you come back with those gifts, don't you? Back from a real great experience. You go, I want to share something. And then you realize the things that you can share is just a tiny amount of the, of the next thing. So I think that's where I'm at currently with British Triathlon. Not to say that uh, I feel overwhelmed or imposter at this moment. I'm just really relishing that next summit push to Paris and, and into LA. Uh, so hopefully that is a, a good answer to, to that really developed question. <laughs> I, I, I like that. It's good. Yeah, and it's refreshing to see that you're taking the, the West Peak and that, that opportunity to, to look at areas to explore and by the sounds of it, with breaking those wheels, use it as a real opportunity to, to really get there for, for LA and and embrace that that feeling of the unknown and the opportunities that are out there as you do go on to the, the final peak and summit the West Peak. And I think working with you guys as much as uh, I haven't put it on your LinkedIn just yet, but I will do. I will put a review on there. Like I said, I would. Is it, we just had this moment in time that in the last couple of weeks to be able to to share some clarity before we we moved on and, and pushed on to that summit push, which is is Paris for the majority of that group and, and some of them for LA. And, and the ability for, to bring you in for us to be removed from our environment and challenge ourselves on with West Peak was really important. And I think we'll probably go into the season now with, with a lot more clarity, with a lot more structure. And and the t your team uh, has really supported us in, in developing that. Uh, so we'll we'll see the the fruits of that, and I'm sure we'll be working together in the postseason on the on the next set of of work together.
well, kind words. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. Tom, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you um, again. Um, as always, we're we're really thankful for the opportunity to work with you and British Power Triathlon, and, and loved working with, with with the group we worked with. And thank you for coming on the How They Lead podcast, the first How They Lead podcast, the first, the very first. How They Lead podcast. How do you find it? Yes, guys, it can only get better from here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way, doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work. <laughs>